near the end of your Bible, our text for this week, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. If you'll turn there, please. Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. We stand to give reverence and give honor. We give honor to the eternal, infallible, inerrant. It is the perfect, preserved word of God. That's why I ask people to stand. We have God's perfect word. Hallelujah. Hebrews 12, verse number 1, in the first few words of verse number 2, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let me pray with you, please. Our great God, I come to you again, and again I acknowledge to you how desperate I need you, and I uh, acknowledge that I don't have any ability. It's all just vanity and so many words and so much commotion unless you empower it, unless you um, breathe on it, and uh, God, that you would use it in our hearts. I, I know uh, us humans, our brains to go all over the place. And I pray that in your grace, I pray that tonight you would capture all of our hearts. And our minds would be stayed on you and your word and uh, God, you would use these uh, next minutes that we're together to bring glory to your name. If someone's not yet born again, I pray that you would clarify that for them, make it well understood to them, and I pray they would understand they must, they must be born again, they must be forgiven, and I pray that tonight would be the night they would say yes to you. And Jesus, for us that know you, I pray that it, would be more than just a song that you are our story. That you really would, in our life, it's evident that everything about our life is you. I pray that you would get the honor tonight. So I ask you for unction and utterance and power to preach. I pray that you would get the glory. So we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you are about to do. And it is in the mighty and holy name of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so we've gone over it it's already, you know, since we were here last night, it's 24 22 hours, something like that. I know some of you already forgot. But there's, this is a metaphor concerning Christianity. 
Well, let's do more than a mmm. <laughs> this is a metaphor concerning Christianity. And so he's depicting Christianity as an athletic event. There is a race taking place. And the person that's in the race, let us, the us person, are those that have received Christ to be their Savior. They've got the jersey. They've got the number. They are now in the race. Amen? The goal of the race or the end of the race is to be like Jesus. Amen? Now... In the race, we're supposed to be making progress. If you don't make progress, according to Hebrews chapter 5, it says, ye are dull. You're supposed to be making progress. And so there are those who get on the sidelines and they give up and quit. But he tells us, let us run. Let us run the race. So we know that the race, uh, we learned last night anyway, that the race has guaranteed difficulties. Guaranteed discomfort. It's called an agony. And we're supposed to run with patience. Because this race is guaranteed discomforts, we're going to need patience that we, when uh, provocation comes, when heartache comes, when trial comes, When these disappointments come, we need to have a calm, unruffled temper without murmuring, without complaint. Amen? Tonight, our area that we're going to work on is that he said, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which doth so easily beset us. <laughs> now us, as us as in the race, he says in this race we got weights. And uh, since we're talking about it, he says it like this. Let us lay aside every weight. You know, I, I've been in church my entire life, and I, uh, I know that sometimes in our brain, or for me anyway, when it says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just needs to be set us, I automatically inferred in my brain that every weight is a sin. But that doesn't really say that. It says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. It's as if the weight might not be a sin, but it is something that hinders. It's something that impedes. It's something that prevents us from making the progress we should be making. That's what it sounds like. Let us lay aside every weight. And since I've been going over it again and again, I just will remind you, it's every You know, uh, when he calls it a weight, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's wicked. There are things in our life that are not wicked, that are not sinful, that could hinder us from making progress. That could get us off track. Does anybody hear me? I'll just give you a few ideas here. Uh, You know... There is nothing wrong 
There's nothing wrong with a J-O-B. You know, Job. <laughs> no, there's nothing wrong with a job, is there? In fact, God kind of has made it the economy of humanity that humanity is supposed to work so they can have the ability to barter, trade, buy, sell. They work so they can eat. If a person won't work, they don't need to... Now, I didn't make that up. That's like in the Holy Bible. But a job is valuable, it's important, it's a, it's a blessing from God that we could have ability to have a, the opportunity and the ability to, and the energy and the physical strength to be able to work so we can get some green stuff. Amen? It's a blessing. And it's a hallelujah blessing when you have a job that you love. It's so sad how many people have a job that they dread. I don't know what I would do if I had a job that I dread. I might quit work. <laughs> but because I feel like I'm supposed to pay the bills and stuff, I'd probably keep going to work. I had, I've had all kinds of jobs in my life, and there was many of them I did not really love. I think just about all of them. <laughs> Mercy. There's nothing wrong with the job. But you know that us humans, we get wrapped up in our J-O-B that we're thinking, well, i got to do good in my J-O-B because I want to keep my B-O-S-S happy and I, so I can keep my J-O-B, and then if I keep my J-O-B, I'll get some money so I can take care of my needs and my finances, and I might even get a little extra money where I can go get a toy <laughs> or take the family and do something. Yeah. And if we're not careful, because we spend so much time at the job, many people spend a minimum of 40 hours a week. Some spend way more than that. Some spend a little less than that. But 40 hours given to your J-O-B, if you're not careful, your J-O-B takes over in your R-A-C-E. If you can't keep up with me, your job gets away in the race. And there's many people that give more time and more attention and more effort and more energy to their job than they do in this race. I, I, I know, now some of you were not here yesterday, too bad for you, but us that were here yesterday, we learned from Andrew Murray that in this race, becoming like Jesus demands self-discipline. He said rigid care that could demand strenuous, strenuous effort that could claim body and soul. And we go, no, 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 no. Work claims body and soul. Christianity is mm, cotton candy and chocolate cake. Is everybody with me? To run the race, the J-O-B is not supposed to take the place of the race. The J-O-B is secondary. 
But many people, they give much more attention, much more allegiance to their job than they would Jesus. Excuse me. You can sit here and you can try to figure it out all you want. Go, well, I don't know. My job is so important. You know, I can't, I can't put it like third or second or something. Because, you know, i got to have a job. Because, you know, I wouldn't be able to come to church and be able to give if I didn't have a job. And you excuse yourself to give more energy and more time, more effort, more commitment to your job than you do Jesus. And you think Jesus is going to accept that kind of... Kind of uh, you know, manipulation and kind of think of figuring it out. Is everybody with me? Excuse me. Uh, I, surely you're not so dense that you would say, I don't know nobody who gives more time to their job than Jesus. <laughs> Excuse me, since we're talking about it, it is Monday night. And all of you in this room, we already know all of you give more to Jesus and more energy and effort and attention to Jesus than you do your job. We're all proud of you. But since I'm not half brain dead, I know that's not true. Just because you come on a Monday night doesn't mean that your job doesn't have more, more uh, influence over your life than Jesus. Since we're talking about it, some people, it's their schooling. There's nothing wrong with having education. In America, everybody should get it. It's offered to you. You have potential, anybody can get a job. I mean, go to school. I just met a guy in Wyoming. He's a guy to be about 48 years old. He might be, he might, I don't think he's 50. He's about 45, 48 years old. This guy was a truck driver and he did some other menial things. He went to college and now he's a pharmacist. I mean, like a legal one. <laughs> he got the degree. How did he do that? He went to college when he was in his 30s. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? In America, you can do whatever you want with education. But the education never, should never, ever take the place of becoming like Jesus. But many people go, well, I got to do this for four years or six years. I got to do this for, I got to get this out of the way. Then I can serve God. No, you don't. When you bump Jesus out of the way and put your education and your training first, you've made a big boo-boo. Amen. Oh, Brother Dave, excuse me, I'm telling you, your job can become a weight, a hindrance. Schooling can become a... When it says, let us lay aside every weight, does that mean you're supposed to quit your job? No, that means you quit putting your job first, put Jesus first, you still got to go to work. Because I know teenagers go, hey, i got to quit work. <laughs> I want to put Jesus first. I ain't got time. Mercy. When you lay aside every weight, you don't just quit schooling, you don't quit the education, but the education does not take the priority. Is anybody hearing me? Since we're talking about it, family. Who invented family? Uh, God. God wants the family to be a unit, to love one another, to help one another, to uh, be a blessing to each other. But the family should be helping us become more like Jesus, not hindering us. And many people use the family as an excuse to get off track, get on the sidelines. 
Does anybody hear anything I'm talking about? I'm just saying family's not wicked. It's not sinful. God's for it. But if we're not careful, we could take really good things and make them, they could become a weight. When you lay aside the weight, do you just get rid of your family and say, hey, y'all are out of here, I gotta love Jesus. No, you just don't let the family take the priority, God takes the priority. Excuse me, I've heard, I've been in church my entire life. I've got five brothers and five sisters and I, I've had I've had family members say to me, you know how it is if you try to put God first and you cram it down your kid's life, they're not going to like it. And then my, my own family has said that. Our dad is a preacher and they're saying, we don't, we, you shouldn't be cramming it down their throat. If anybody should know that I love Jesus and Jesus is going to be a priority in my life, it ought to be my children. And if you live in my house, if you live in my house, in this household, Jesus is a priority. We all don't get to decide when you move out, do what you want. But right now, inside the, and they all not, it's not some, you know, with a, a, a iron rod over their head that they're getting banged upside the head. That's just how it is since they were infants. We put Jesus first. Well, we, I don't see how I can do that. And that's why you're all scrambled up. Brother Dave, I came on Monday night. <laughs> Give me a break. I must be pretty dedicated. Yeah. Our families and our independent Baptist churches are, many of them, over 50% are a wreck. It's a shame. We have the same kind of ratio of family problems that they do out there. And that ought not be so. Mercy. Somehow or another, we got to put Jesus the priority. Can somebody say amen? amen. Are, are, is, are you with me on these things that are weights? Doesn't matter. Anything can become a weight. Fishing. Ain't that a bummer? I'm not against fishing. I like it if you catch them. I hate it if you're going to go spend six hours in the sun and bake and go, this is a lot of fun. <laughs> Wish we had more pop. We ain't catching nothing. I don't enjoy that. But I do enjoy fishing when you actually, you catch them. Amen? There's nothing wrong with fishing. But if you're not careful, fishing can become a hindrance. It can become a weight. I enjoy golf. I should not say that. I, I golf. I enjoy pieces of it, parts of it, <laughs> occasions of it. There's 18 holes in golf, and I like about four of them. <laughs> but because I keep thinking it's going to be more than four, I keep trying. There's nothing wrong with golf. There's nothing wrong with baseball. There's nothing wrong with playing some soccer. There's nothing wrong with football. There's nothing wrong with, you know, frisbee, golf. Or... Anyway, there's nothing wrong with that stuff. But if, when it gets in the way and it impedes me, I don't have time to read my Bible because I need to go fishing. I don't have time to pray because, you know, I golf. I don't have time to knock on anybody's door because, you know, I've got to have time for me. I've got to go golf. Does anybody hear me? 
My wife, her athletic event, or I guess it's really her spiritual gift, is shopping. <laughs> She's not a gold medalist, but she is a silver medalist in shopping. She's incredible. She loves it. But you know, shopping can be a hindrance to your Christian life. Does anybody hear anything I'm saying? Anything can become a weight. Doesn't mean you have to throw it away, but you've got to move it to the side that it doesn't take over your life. Now I want to give you another angle about these weights that I, uh, anyway, I, I just feel like it'll help me and you see something about these weights. I uh, never did run track in high school, college, elementary school. I did not run the organized thing called track and field. I did not do it. wasn't a track runner. I played some sports, but I didn't run track. But you know what I've learned about in track? There are times that the coach would tell one of the runners, here, I want you to put these ankle weights on. And I want you to go around the track out here about... Six times. Six times is a mile and a half. That's like forever. <laughs> Why would a coach do that? Well, he hates them. He's trying to get them to quit. <laughs> I grew up in Kentucky, and in Kentucky we don't have any beaches around us. But I do preach in California regularly. Now, the last uh, 20 years, and so I've gone out there, and I've understood that there are track coaches that actually take the track team to the beach. Now, I didn't live close to a beach when I started. I'm a runner, and so one time I you know, came to California, and I go, hey, I'm going to go run on the beach because that's really cool. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever run on the beach. It's a bummer. You have to park in the parking lot. <laughs> the beach is down there. You have to walk from here down to there. You know what you have to walk through to get there? Sand. They don't make it like pavement. It's like <laughs> sand. Time you get there, your tennis shoes are full of sand. You can't run with tennis shoes full of sand. So, Brother Dave, you're supposed to go barefooted. Well, I didn't know that. And if the sand's hot, I don't want to go barefooted. I, I got on the beach, and now I'm not going to run on the sand. You've got to run close to the Wawa. That's where it's kind of packed. I was going to go run a couple miles on the beach, you know, look like something on TV, like they go, whoa, look at that. that guy, that's awesome. He's running on the beach. <laughs> I'm out there running on the beach, and now you've got to dodge the water. Going, oh, man. You gotta... <laughs> I did it once, and I never, I never need to do it again. I didn't like it. It's not comfortable. But I heard these coaches in California took their high school team to the beach. They don't let them run close to the Wawa. They go, no, 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 no. Don't get close to the water. You've got to run up here. And today we're running two miles in the sand. Now, why would a coach do that? He wants them all to quit so he doesn't have to coach anymore. That's the only reason I can think of. That's, it's, it's, cra it's crazy to run two miles in the sand. Why would he do that? He's trying to strengthen their thighs. He's trying to strengthen their calves, their shin muscles, their ankle muscles. He's trying to increase their wind 
He's try, is, is everybody with me? Now when they get out of the sand and they get back there on the track, they might pick up three seconds. Is anybody hearing me? The coach would put them in the sand because he wants to help them. Huh. I wore weights one time on my feet. I told you I did a marathon. I was preparing for the marathon. I got these two and a half pound ankle weights. They fit on one on each foot. They have this little uh, metal silver hook and you put the Velcro strap, it's tied, on, you got them on your feet. I told Nancy, I said, I know exactly where I was. I told Nancy, I said, I'm going to go out and run a, I'm going to go out and try to run a mile out and a mile back. I'll be back in a little while. I'm going to try out these weights. I was running down the sidewalk and in less than a quarter of a mile, do you know what was going on? The ankle weights go, on each foot. You know what's going to happen in less than a half mile? I'm going to have blood blisters on inside, outside, ankles, maybe on the top, all over. I'm going to have blisters all over me. I'm not doing that. I stopped, took off the ankle weights, threw them on the side of the sidewalk, said, if somebody wants them, they can have them. <laughs> if they're there when I come back, I'll pick them up. I went and ran my mile, and I came back. They were still there. I picked them up. I know where they are today. They're inside. You walk in. If you go into my closet, they're in the corner right there on the floor. <laughs> I need to sell them in a garage sale or, you know, get rid of them. They're a waste. Running in the sand, a coach would do that? Excuse me, in, in the metaphor, we're in the race, it's an athletic event, our Heavenly Father, Jesus is our coach. You think it's possible Jesus would ever have us run in the sand? I'm pretty sure you wouldn't like it. Last August, so nine months ago, my daughter called me. I have a daughter that's married, has two children, and a daughter that's not married, she has no children. The daughter that has children called me, and she told me something on the phone that really close to the worst news I could ever hear. She's calling and she's crying on the phone and she says, Daddy, I need to back up a step. My daughter and her husband work at the college and uh, they work there and they have two little kids, a uh, four-year-old boy, five-year-old girl, the boy and girl have gone up there since they were two and three. They've been going up to the college occasionally and so on. Well, in the summer, they go up there and uh, they play in the offices where they were working. Or occasionally they go out and there's a big place to play. Man, there's all kinds of places to play. And sometimes there were other kids there and they go out and play. My grandson, it was cool, and he was three and four years old both. The maintenance men sometimes would let him go with them. They gave him a screwdriver in one hand, a pair of pliers or a hammer in the other hand, gave him a hard hat, he'd follow them around, <laughs> going wherever they go. Man, he loves it. He's a man. Other children there sometimes and so on. My daughter called me in August and said, Dad, we just found out that this summer 
Her son's name is Ryder. He's four years old. Ryder's been molested all summer long by a 14-year-old boy here on, at work. I mean, one time would be horrible. It would just make you sick and want to shoot somebody all summer long. And how it was found out and all that stuff. And then, you know, to be sure, you know, when you have a four-year-old begin to explain to you what was done to him and what he did, what he was told to do. It will break your heart. It will it'll make you want to do something. Somebody's got to fix this. Somebody's got to get in big trouble. Someone's going to die. Is anybody hearing me? I'm telling you, when you do that to a parent's heart, or to a grandparent's heart, and I'm on the phone, and I'm not close, and I'm, I'm, I'm a, a half a country away thinking, I've got to get on the plane and fly home and help my family, help my... I said, hey, what, what are they doing about it? I said, hey, there, you got a president there, you got a vice president there, what are they doing? What, are, what has happened so far? Do they know about it? What is, what is their response? What are they doing? Come on, they've got to get something going here. I'm telling you, I was getting more angry the more I, que- I asked questions, the more I thought about it. I said, well, there's a detective in the church and a policeman in the church, and they're asking them what is the best approach, how should we do this? Well, what's that family doing? What are, are they still there? Is that boy still there? What's going on? My daughter's crying on the phone the whole time. Well, they're trying to decide how they're going to approach it or they're going to call the police. And then I tell my daughter this. I said, now, if you get the DHS involved, you get, you get uh, the government involved, they're going to come in and say, how come you didn't take care of your kids? Why did you let your kids get out here? And they could take your kids away from you because you're a bad parent. Excuse me, that's crazy, but that's exactly what stuff they do. Then I said, now they're going to shut down the college because of one boy and all he's been doing? If we're not careful, the college will be closed. We'll be the front. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? My brain was going 100 miles an hour. I'm angry. I'm upset. I cannot believe this. I don't, I've got to get on a plane. I've got to get back. Somebody's got to pay. Is anybody hearing me? I'm telling you, I was angry. Mercy. My daughter is bawling on the phone. Her baby. We hang up, and Nancy and I are crying, and we're praying and begging God to give my daughter and her husband peace. God, help them have grace. God, help this not to affect their son. One day when he's a 14-year-old boy, he's doing stuff like that. Is anybody hearing me? I mean, our hearts are broken. This is Horrific. So wait, 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 wait a minute. Does God know about this? No, then you got to get this. Did uh, was God asleep? 
Was he on vacation? Could God have stopped it? My grandson could have died before he ever met that 14-year-old boy. And he would have never gone through what he went through. The 14-year-old boy could have died before he ever met my grandson. The 14-year-old boy and his parents or whatever could have moved away or something and they never bumped into each other. Is anybody hearing me? Does our God have the ability to do stuff like that? Well, I can't you saying that God let this happen? God knows sin is going to happen. Well, if God knows it's going to happen, why doesn't He stop it? He's God. He's sovereign. He gives humanity free choice, free will. Mercy. So we're talking on the phone almost every day about this issue. Now we're trying not to talk about it every day because it's become the whole issue. And every couple of weeks I'd say, hey, what have they done so far? Well, they're still trying to decide. The police are doing some investigation. The detective's talking to people. Now two months have passed. Are they still there? Yeah, they're still here. What are they doing? What are they going to do? Well, they're trying to decide how to present this and they're going to get you know, the, all the detective work they've done, all the evidence, they're going to present it to a judge. When? Well, they're trying to get on a court docket. That family's still there? Yeah, they're still here. So then we try not to talk about it. My daughter recalls, she'll start crying. She said, Dad, I can't take it anymore. Every day when I see his mother, I'm thinking, why are you all still here? When I, see the little, when I see the 14-year-old boy and I see him somewhere out there, why is he even here? I ought not ever have to see him again. The leadership here, the president and them ought to know that I should never have to see them again. Is everybody paying attention? I'm telling you, it's heartbreaking. Then she'll try to say, I'm trying to trust God. We're trying to wait and see what happens. The four-year-old, take him to a Christian psychologist and let him talk to him to see if he's fouled up. Take a four-year-old? It's gut-wrenching. Here's one way I could describe it. It's like running in the sand, and you hate every bit of it. You don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. It hurts. You say, wait a minute. Don't you know where I am? Wow. Now it's Christmas time. We're home. They haven't been to court yet. It's supposed to happen in January. Try not to bring it up and make an issue of it with the boy. And there's a five-year-old girl and she she listens and pays attention to what's going on around. In January, it's the last week of January, my daughter calls me crying on the phone. And she said, Daddy, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it. I don't want to see them again. I don't want to go back to school. I don't want to go back to work. I don't ever want to see them again. I can't take it. I just hate the pressure. I hate the memory. I hate this. And 
In the month of November, I had preached a series of sermons on bitterness. And I told my daughter that if you keep having a heart like this and you're bitter, you, it will destroy you. You can't stay bitter. You're going to have to forgive them. The mom, the dad, the boy, you have to forgive them. If you stay bitter, and my daughter says it like this, my dad began to preach to me about bitterness. I didn't think I was preaching. I thought I was telling her. But she said, I didn't like what dad said. And he preached to me for 30 minutes about being bitter. And I said, Becky, if I was talking to any other mama, I would tell him the same thing I'm telling you, honey. You can't keep this attitude. If you're bitter, it will destroy you. I was preaching in California. That service, that night, I went to service. A guest, no, a lady was there that had a harp. She sat down on the front and she started playing the harp and she sang this song in the microphone at the harp. God wanted it that way. And it's a song about history and that the, uh, how people went to martyrdom and were burned at the stake. God wanted it that way. How Joseph was thrown in the prison. God wanted it that way. Is anybody hearing me? This man named Pastor Nichols, N-I-C-H-O-L-S, in Sacramento, California, he wrote the song. He'd had many difficulties in his family. Him and his family sing. He writes several songs. They sang it that night. I'm sitting in the congregation. Nobody in the room knows what happened that day in mine and Nancy's life. And our daughter and what she said. After service, I got up to tell them. I said, that song she just sang has great import to me and my family. And I said, I'd like to have a copy of it, if you could get it for me somehow after church. Anyway, they emailed me a, a connection thing to it. I sent it to my daughter. My daughter was already in bed, and that morning when she got up, she said she listened to that song 30 times before she went to, school, to work. God wanted it that way. She calls me after her work thing is over in her afternoon. She calls me and said, thank you, Daddy. Thank you. She said, I'm going to send you a copy of the letter that I'm sending to the boy's mama. And I have a copy of that letter right now, an email. And she tells that boy's mama, I'm sorry that I've had bitterness towards you and your husband and your son. And she said, I hope I never have to go through what you and your husband are going through. I know your hearts are broken too. And I'd ask you to forgive me for being bitter against you. Anybody hearing me? God's timing was perfect for us. That very week, we were staying in a missions house, and there's a plaque on the wall that says these words. Every circumstance, and every, every circumstance you go through, and every person you meet is the perfect preparation for a future that only God can see. Did you hear it? 
every circumstance you go through, every person you meet, is the perfect preparation for a future only God can see. The person that wrote those words, wrote those words, Corey Ten Boom. The Jewish lady that survived the Holocaust. I'm thinking that's like running in the sand. Do you hate it? Yeah. He said, Brother Dave, you said you're supposed to lay aside the weight, lay aside the sand. You cannot get out of the sand, but you can say this, I'm not going to let this sand be the weight in my life that keeps me from following Jesus. Did you just hear it? I'm not going to let this sand be the thing that puts me and stops me in my tracks. I'm going to lay it aside and keep my eyes on Jesus. Is anybody hearing me? Hey, crybaby, every one of us in this room have horrible things that happen. We have sand in our lives that we do not like. Are you going to let the sand stop you? Are you going to say, God, I trust you. You know about the sand. Amen? Amen? Let us lay aside every weight. Then it says, and the sin. You know, if you have sin in your life, you already know what it is. I like this, how the Bible says it. And the sin which doth so easily beset you. You know what the inference is there? You know what it is. You know what that sin is. It's the sin that besets you. It's the sin that stops you in your tracks. It's the sin that keeps you from following Jesus. It's the sin that halts you. And your race. Somebody say amen. You know what the sin is? I just heard a preacher last week. He described it like this. He said there's a guy that wears a red suit. Has a big S on it right here. And he has a cape. Does anybody know his name? Does he have something that uh, keeps, that weakens him? What is it? Yeah. You know what that preacher said? What's your kryptonite? You've got something in your life. Don't sit here and act like, I ain't got no kryptonite in my life. No, you've got something in your life that is the sin that besets you. What are you supposed to do? Lay it aside. God has never and He will never wink at our sin. You can excuse it. You can act like it's not that big a deal. It's not that bad a sin. Other people do it. But I'm telling you, if it offends a holy God, it's wicked. Lay it aside. Say no to it. Get away from the kryptonite. Somebody say amen. Amen. Then the verse says, it follows up and says, looking unto Jesus. I didn't tell you this. I'll go ahead and tell you now. I don't tell people titles in my sermons because they're not cool. Some people have these real clever titles and you remember them forever. Mine's called training rules. Training guidelines. Lay aside the weights. If you're running into sand, don't let the sand keep you from running. To sin... Lay it aside. Another one, look unto Jesus. You know what the Bible says? He's the author. I don't know if that's ever ringed in your ear, like a ring, 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 ring. What do you mean? He's the author. 
I don't know if you get that. That means he like invented it. He's the one that like started it. He's the one that knows all about it. He's like wrote it. Is anybody getting it? No, he's the author of what? He's the author of our race. He knows everything that's going on in my race. He knows when I stop. He knows the sin. He knows the sand. He knows family, job. He knows education. He doesn't know. He knows everything in my race. He knows about it. He is the author. You mean he's the one that planned the sin in my life? No. He just knows about it. Wait a minute. I like this. I used to think when I first started preaching, I thought, it's my job to straighten out people. You came, my job, fix you. You're not leaving until I fix you. I'm going to fix you until you get on your knees and beg God to get fixed. I thought it was my job to do that. Then I found out that God wasn't dependent on me. He could take care of that. He's like the author. And I love this. He's the finisher. I used to think God was dependent on me saying, okay, McCracken, I'm, I'm counting on you. You got to finish. No, actually, it's already finished. Some of you know the little book called Done. There's nothing to do. It's done. He done it all. He's the finisher. I'm telling you, if you and I could get in our brain that he's not, you know, we don't have to figure it out. He's already figured it out. We don't have to finish it. He's already finished it. We just got to look to Jesus. Since we're talking about it, I'm getting close. Watch. You know, how many, you know how many people in Christianity run like this? Oh, man. I am looking good. I am so proud of me. I bet everybody else is proud of me, too. Look at this. You know, if you keep looking at yourself and you're trying to run the race, you know you're going to have like a bad crash. It's going to chip a tooth. It's going to be a bummer. Is everybody hearing me? If you keep looking at yourself and you've got your eyes on you, that means you don't have your eyes on Christ, you're going to be a big wreck. And other people, they run like this. What's wrong with you people? How come you're not running as good as me? What's wrong with you? You should be up here with me. You ought to be as awesome as me. Come on. And you judge everybody you pass. No, 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 no. We run like this too. Going. Somebody passes us going, hey, you think you're better than me? Why do you think you're better than me? You're not better than me. We got our eyes on everybody else around us. Do you know how many people do not go to church today because somebody in the church said something to them? They offended them. They don't have a right to offend me. They said, did you want what they said about me? I love this one. People come and go, everybody's talking about me. Really? Yeah, everybody's talking about it. I don't like it. I don't, I'm not putting up with it. Well, first of all, I don't think everybody is. Oh, yeah, everybody is. Well, I'm not. <laughs> well, I know everybody but you. You know everybody else is. And you know how many everybody ends up being? One or two. And it was really big, three people. Everybody. I love what Brother Sam Davison said years ago. He said, when people come in and say, everybody's talking about me. And he would say to them, you know, I think you think too highly of yourself. 
I don't think people even care about you. <laughs> That's what I mean. I see they don't even care they're talking about me. No, they don't care to talk about you. You know why that people get all upset about what someone else says? Because they got their eyes off of Jesus. Friend, it's obvious when you get bent out of shape, it's because you got your eyes off of Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, keep your eyes on Jesus. You can stay in the race no matter what's happening. The sand is horrible, but I got my eyes on Jesus and I trust him. How long will this sand last? I don't know, but I love that verse that says, this too shall pass. Amen? Amen? Wow. Okay, uh, how often should we lay aside every weight? I don't know, like what, once a week? No, really, I'm asking you, once a month? Okay, we have revival once, twice a year, okay? Really, how often should we lay aside every weight? Yeah. I think it's like every day. Maybe lots of times every day. Amen? Yeah. I told you I have uh, five brothers. The youngest brother's name is Tim. Tim is now 62, 63 years, no, I'm sorry, 52 years old. 52 or 53 years old. I think he's 52. He'll be 53 in September. He's the baby of the family. Tim has been a drug addict since he was in his late 20s. Gave over to drugs. He'd lie about it and hide it and act like he wasn't. He's never been to prison, never been to jail for drugs. He should have been, just never has got caught. He's had lots of jobs. His wife never has left him. Thinks she should have. I would have recommended her to. No, to protect her son, his son. I, in fact, I told him to his face, I said, I wish you would go to prison so your wife and son would not be influenced by you. That's what I said to his face in front of my mom and dad. Mom and dad were shocked. They didn't like that. But they didn't know he was a drug addict until that day. I preached to him over and over. He'd get right. He'd want to do right. He'd want to do right. And then pfft, he'd crash. Then he'd mess up. He'd get right again. He's going to live. He's going to do it. He's going to say no to drugs. He's going to say no. He's going to, and then he'd fall off the wagon again. His life has been like this since he was in his late 20s, just up and down. Our dad died five years ago. Tim and dad were buddies. Timmy is a fisherman. He's a hunter. He was killing rabbits. He was killing doves with BB guns when he was eight, nine years old. He'd go out hunting and come back holding rabbit with his BB gun. He'd clean it when he was eight years old. He's, and him and dad had a great partnership or love for each other. And anyway, uh, ten, he hid stuff and lied about it. Dad died and really, really just crushed his heart. <clears throat> he, uh, 
He's been, he's been clean now. It's supposed to be, he says, it's over five years. It's been close to six years he's clean. We're thankful. So hallelujah. Still struggles. He's had several jobs in the last six years. Hadn't even had a job in the last eight, almost ten months. Hadn't even had a job. Couldn't get a job. Physically, his body hurts. He can't keep the, you know, he, when he tries to pass physical, he can't, and all kinds of stuff. Anyway, it's pitiful. But he wants to do right. He's trying to hang in there. And he doesn't keep a phone. So when I try to call, he doesn't have a phone a lot of times, you know. Anyway, he, he, after Dad died, he died, Dad died in February. The next June is... Uh, Father's Day, and so the next June, the second Father's Day after Dad died, my phone rang on Sunday morning, Father's Day, and my brother Tim says, hey, David. I said, hey, Tim. He said, I want to tell you Happy Father's Day. I said, thanks, Tim. Thank you, man. That's, that's nice of you. I appreciate it. He said, I know you're not my dad. He said, but I know you love me like like a dad, and I know you pray for me. And I just want to tell you thanks. Happy Father's Day. That meant a whole lot to me. I'd call Tim every once in a while and see how he's doing, tell him I'm praying for him. But this is like three years ago. He'd call me out of the blue. He said, hey, how come you haven't called me? I said, I should have. I thought about it yesterday. I didn't call you. What's going on? I love you, brother. I'm praying for you. I still pray for you every day. He said, I want to tell you thanks. He said, I'm just checking on you. He called me out of the blue, and he goes, Hey, David. He said, I want you to give me one of them jewels. I said, well, Tim, I don't think I got any of them jewel things. I don't, I don't know what you want me to do. He said, you know, one of them jewels. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, out of the Bible, give me one of them jewels. Oh, yeah, I got some of them. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you one of those. And on that day, I asked him to do what I'm going to ask you to do. Turn to Lamentations, chapter 3. Lamentations, chapter 3, and verse 21. I read this out loud to my brother. This I recall to my mind... Therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I said, Timmy, that is a jewel right there. I said, here, now here's what we got to do. I said, I want you to think in your brain right now. Think in your brain right now. I want you to think of the largest dump truck you can think of. No, Tim, I say the largest, the biggest dump truck you can think of in your brain right now. No, it has to be red. It's shiny red. It's brand new. Think of the largest red dump truck you can think of. It's brand new, shiny. It's got chrome wheels on it. It has chrome on the front where, uh, where the uh, grill is. It has chrome there at the stack where the exhaust is. There's chrome at the handle of the door. I said, it's beautiful. It's brand new. It's never been used before. Can you think of it right now in your head? He goes, yeah, I can see it. I said, is it big? He goes, it's really big. 
I said, here's what you got to do. I want you to think of it like this. I said, right now, that truck is outside your front door. And it's backing up to your front door. Beep. 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 I said, can you hear it coming? He says, yes, I hear it coming. I said, it's coming to your front door, Tim. I said, now it stops. The bed begins to raise up. The tailgate begins to open. And a jimongous truckload of God's mercies and His compassions are dumped out on your front door every morning, Timmy. Every morning. It comes every day. I said, every day it's a brand new truck. It's not the same one. It's another new one. They're new every morning. I told Tim these words. I said, Tim, most mornings, almost daily in my life, when I get out of the bed, the first things I think of in the first 60, 120 seconds every morning when I get up, I, I, I listen for that beep. And I'm looking for that dump truck. Because Timmy, every day, every day, I need a brand new load of mercies and compassions. I said, Timmy, the only reason I'm still in the ministry today is because God gives me a brand new truck every morning. I said, it comes to your house every day. Every day it comes to your house. A couple months pass, he'll call me out of the blue and go, hey, did you hear that beeping today? I go, yeah, Tim, I did. There you go, I saw that red truck today. I said, I see it every morning. You know how you and I can keep our eyes on Jesus? Because every day we get a brand new truck of mercies and compassions every day. If we will receive those by faith and trust God for them, you and I can stay in the race. All these weights that come in our life, we can say, you know, I'm not going to let that keep me from serving God. And I'm not going to let that keep, take my eyes off Jesus. This sand is horrible. I hate it. I don't want to be here. But I'm not going to let this sand keep me. I'm going to lay aside the thought of that sand keeping me out of the race. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. Can somebody say amen? amen. Every one of us in this room, every one of us in this room have weights. Everybody. Some of you have sin and you know exactly what it is and you have not laid it aside. So Brother Dave, I laid it aside last week. I know, but it's back and you know it's back. You need to lay it aside again. Lay it aside. Well, how can I keep laying it aside? Because you get a brand new truck every morning. Amen. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If you're not saved, the first thing you need to do is get saved. You can get saved tonight. Jesus Christ died for your sin also. You can know for sure you're forgiven if you trust Christ. Amen. You said, Brother Dave, I already know I'm forgiven. Well, how are you doing in the race? You got some things hindering you? Don't let them hinder you. You don't throw away your job. You don't throw away your family. You don't throw away your education. But you don't let them keep you from making progress. Amen. I ask you to stand with me. Thank you for listening tonight.